everyone, and happy 2023. Welcome to News and Brew Sports Biz, our podcast series that advocates for the financial voices in college athletics and features new developments impacting the business of college sports. I'm Katie Davis. And I'm Ken Kurzel. We are going to kick off the year with a glimpse into five topics that we believe are important for the industry. However, we wanted to take a different spin on the 2023 predictions that everyone else does and present them as a Festivus-style grievance. The tradition of Festivus begins with the airing of grievances. So, of course, we'll talk about all the ways the collegiate athletics industry has disappointed us over the last year and will likely continue to do so into 2023. Um, This idea inspired us when we were brainstorming our typical top five episode, and we realized we're talking about this stuff over and over and we're pretty tired of it. So here we are in the spirit of Frank Costanza. I got a lot of problems with you people, and now you're going to hear about it. All right, Katie, thanks for uh, kicking that off. Uh, My first grievance um, is in the very muddy and then also often misreported idea of revenue within the collegiate athletics industry between what is called generated revenue versus allocated revenue. Um, You know, there's huge differences between those two numbers. Um, And it looks very different at different schools. And unfortunately, um, it gets muddied up, uh, both by the NCAA as well as uh, by the press when they report on it, you know, looking at schools that um, generate huge amounts like the Power Five or autonomy schools where they have huge amounts of generated revenue that's uh, that is uh, reported versus other schools that have large amounts of internal transfers or allocated revenue. There's very big differences from that, and there's very big differences on the expense side of that too, which we've talked about a lot, where you're moving money from one pocket to the other within the university. So I'm going to list that out as one of my top top grievances. What do you think about that? I one? mean, I would agree with that. And I think um, what's been interesting is, of course, as um, you know, the, the numbers are starting to come out for fiscal year 22, which of course is, you know, the bounce back from COVID and, and a lot of people are trying to really benchmark and gauge themselves compared to their peers. And um, I heard of an AD telling um, the press that when they compared their school to all of the other schools in their state, uh, that they had the most revenue. Um, and I thought it was interesting because they weren't necessarily taking into account that they have a lot of uh, institutional support or they got a lot of government support Mm. from the stimulus money during COVID. And um, therefore they're bragging that they have the (laughs) highest revenue. Um, But then also, you know, the whole piece of scholarships is missing and, and even just how the university and athletics support each other, whether it's related to use of facilities that are shared or not. Um, who has the potential debt, you know, on those facilities and who's carrying that. And I think that gets really confusing and hard and challenging, um, even for us, as we're trying to help schools tell their financial story and reconcile between their, um, you know, kind of who who they typically benchmark when they're trying to have these conversations with their presidents and chancellors. Um, it, It makes it really difficult. Absolutely. And we definitely know from experience that it's definitely not apples to apples. You made a great point about 
um, where facilities costs are uh, recorded? Are they absorbed by the university on behalf of athletics? Are they charged out to it? Is that considered in-kind revenue versus not? And we know different schools are going to do it different ways. Um, and then, of course, the NCAA doesn't have one um, one set way uh, for all of that, and, and their instructions are muddy, which which kind of walks into our second grievance, which I'm going to let yes. you kick off. Yeah, so, um, you know, second grievance also has to do with NCAA financial reporting model and um, really came into light this year for the first time in a while um, because of the um, downturn in the markets. And um, I can already say I know the fact that not all schools are going to be doing this consistently. We did reach out to the NCAA and, and we plan to put an article out about this. Um, but essentially, it's confusing because when there are losses on investments and endowments, mm -hmm. um, you know, you have your um, categories that are um, category 17 um, as well as category eight that are related to contributions that are used um, as well as your endowment um, activity. And so what's interesting is that the NCAA says that um, you should pick up in a year that there's income, you would pick that up. But in a if you're spending that income, you know, um, when you're using it, but essentially um, when there's a loss, um, according to the NCAA, um, institutions should only be reporting contributions and investments used in lines eight and 17. So institutions should never report investment losses. Um, we kind of went back with and forth with some different scenarios with the NCAA um, and they walked us through this um, process and how you would treat it. Um, it's really interesting because um, we were starting to find when some of the, the universities we work with were putting their numbers in, they were showing a negative revenue because of the investment right. losses, mm -hmm. which led to us asking the question because we know generally the NCAA never likes to see a negative revenue. Um, right. So because of that, um, we we asked the question, this was their response. Of course, it's not clear at all in any of their um, NCAA agreed upon procedures guide or or the FAQ or anything else in the FRS. So, um, you know, what's interesting is um, depending on how your numbers shake out in the different, you know, in, in looking at the 4%, you may or may not catch that um, right. because right. if no one's diving deeper into that number, if it's not coming over as a negative and if it's not being tested as a line item, um, you know, it's possible that schools aren't picking it up at all. Um, it's possible that they are picking it up in that line. It's possible that they're burying it in another line that might be falling under the 4% threshold. So I'm just going to go ahead and put <laughs> this out there now. It's not going to be apples to apples this Definitely year. Mm -hmm. um, we're trying to have the conversations as we see, um, you know, instances that are pretty large um, to talk through this with schools. Um, but of course, we're not reaching everybody. So we will put an article out about this just so you have it and you can explain um, later um, if you're starting to benchmark against others and understand why there might be differences in those areas. Um, another weird thing to put out for those of you that are um, accounting nerds and truly understand the, the changes in the accounting standards, 
there's new way that we're going to have to start accounting for leases. Um, if you report, um, if you're a state school and report under government accounting rules, you've likely already run into this and we've had a great time doing it. Um, the other uh, schools that might be under the FASB model will have to do this in the upcoming year. So, of course, we asked um, the NCAA trying to get ahead of it of any of these effects and how it might impact, um, you know, you know, the shift of many lease and rental expenses to become amortization expense instead and depreciation and amortization aren't supposed to be reflected in the NCAA report. Um, so as it relates to category 34, um, what does this mean? And should lease additions also be picked up in category 56? So the, um, the response from the NCAA was that principal and interest lease payments should be reported in category 34. Depreciation and amortization expenses are not reported. If there are no cash payments on the lease, nothing would be reported in category 34, um, which isn't the case because you're still making payments, but okay. Um, then they say the balance of those leases are reported in category 52 and asset purchases will be that will be depreciated over time would be reported in category 56. So again, this is not very clear. Um, we will continue to look into this and, and give you all updates as you run into this, but no, there could be some differences in how it's interpreted, as well as if you report um, under government uh, accounting standards or not, as to the timing of when this is implemented. So it's all very confusing. Um, thank you again to the NCAA for creating your own financial reporting system right. model mm. and not following what is generally accepted across the United States of America by everybody else but the NCAA. Yeah, no, it's a good overall grievance that at the end of the day, and I know we're we're biased because we're CPAs and we're um, in the industry where uh, there's a reason that there's generally accepted accounting principles, a uh, gap, uh, and there's, there's a good reason for that because that allows for organizations to to report their financial activity and to be able to compare to other organizations and have one set of standards. Um, it's it's always confusing and it's always difficult when uh, when we have a special reporting framework that deviates so substantially from, from GAAP. Um, so I've, I've got it as a big grievance and I definitely um, am struggling with the whole idea about the investment losses, you know, similar to the fact that uh, the NCAA would also have you not record contributions until you spend them, so to speak. Um, and keeping track of that from year to year, um, you know, and again, it it leads to some some wild and interesting um, reports that come out as schools try to try to do their best to follow that that methodology. Correct. Yes. Uh, next up on the grievance list, um, you know, this is financial related, but it's financial related in a way that um, extends beyond just the. The actual collegiate athletics department or organization, uh, and that's you know we can't avoid it. We're tired of talking about it, but NIL, um, and then especially NIL combined with the transfer portal, um, and just kind of what that looks like as we have major shifts um, of student athletes from school to school um, that no longer are just like the initial recruiting of that student athlete as a high school. Uh, athlete into the into the university and and maybe a transfer as a graduate transfer, but now you know transfers after after the one year mark uh, is as early as the one year mark um, from school to school and just you know massive movement. Um, 
you know, the, the unintended consequences of that, just adding a lot of extra expense onto all of the schools um, as they look at, you know, having having to re-recruit athletes uh, constantly. Um, so from a recruiting standpoint, it's more expensive. Um, you've also got overlap between uh, years, you know, as, as student athletes transfer. So, um, and then also just, you know, NIL. Uh, <laughs> I don't know that I have anything unique to add uh, beyond what's already in the um, the atmosphere on NIL, um, but it's, you know, it's just a, honestly, it's tough and it's tiring um, as a collegiate athletics fan, not just, uh, you know, a professional in the industry to to look at just how stratospheric the changes are um, to the model and, and trying to get your head around that day to day. Yeah, and I mean, this isn't anything new, but there have been questions about, um, you know, are, is NIL going to redirect um, money coming to athletics um, from your boosters. And, um, you know, really, as the NCAA has continued to put out more guidelines, just find it interesting that it is so appropriate to recruit and retain mm -hmm. athletes through NIL. Um, and there was a good tweet by Matt Brown this week that mm -hmm. said, um, you know, it would be nice to have a differentiator between what's like a an advertising expense for a business um, where the where it's like a sponsorship right. um, versus, you know, what's recruiting and retention. Um, that would be interesting to see. But, you know, I really think that, yes, athletes deserve um, to be recognized for what they do. And of course, with the news of the um, football player that was really injured um, in the NFL, and that just brings more to light of what these athletes do. And of course, they're bulletproof and, you know, when they're 18, 19, 20 years old. Right. And so um, they may not recognize that aspect of it, but they do recognize that they bring a lot of value. Um, I think also it was interesting. Ken, you shared with me a statistic um, just in general in higher education and some projections of. Right. drops in enrollment because there are projected drops in high school graduation um, rates um, and number of students graduating. So that means, you know, enrollment in universities for the second half of the 2020s is going to decline. Right. right. Um, <clears throat> so I think it's all more important for university and athletics to work together. And of course, that means athletes staying, building your brand, um, you know, also, interestingly, there's potentially fewer college athletes if enrollment in general is down. So what does that mean from a supply and demand standpoint? It could get really complicated. But yes. mm -hmm. but I do think that, um, you know, it's it's one of those things that's likely inevitable. But the more you can start to quantify some of these things um, that you're already providing to your student athletes that they would not be getting elsewhere. Um that I think that just continues to help you tell your financial story. And, um, you know, as you're talking with the institution about just in general, you know, branding and awareness and how athletes play into that, um, you know, really looking to, to see, you know, is there something that the institution could be doing um, to help you supplement some of the uh, revenues that you may not be getting because now those revenues are being redirected to the athletes directly. Yeah, no, and, and we certainly have lots of friends um, in the fundraising and development areas uh, in collegiate athletics with various booster organizations and foundations. And 
Um, one, I, d I don't envy their job of, uh, of doing that in this brave new world of NIL, where not only are they um, talking to donors about contributions to support facilities and scholarships and all the stuff that they typically have in the past, but they're also making introductions to collectives uh, and, and actually, you know, having to go to them and say, hey, here, are, here is another organization uh, to contribute your money to. So uh, that's a huge challenge, uh, trying to balance those between how much you're, you're trying to make the case for the, the traditional institution uh, booster organization versus um, offering up money to collectives that's also needed for the NIL money. So um, very challenging um, and also just kind of illustrates, you know, our favorite line, telling your financial story. You need to be able to tell that to prospective donors. So um, what do we got next uh, in grievances? Um, so the next one has to do with the transitions of coaches and ADs, which continually happens at a faster rate. And if coaches aren't being transitioned out fast enough, the ADs might get transitioned out um, first. And we've seen that a lot with some really high profile athletic directors um, losing their jobs. And, you know, speaking to the CFOs in the room who really cannot stand to see these new contracts being negotiated and then having to pay out all of the termination clauses in addition to finding someone new to hire. It's just not at all helping your financial position. And many times you're not at the table during these discussions. It's, um, you know, it's, it's being handled by the president and other people like that, that um, don't have as much context into these decisions and are kind of reacting based on emotion and which I get in college sports, but it's it's gotten a little out of hand um, and that's understating it. Um, I, I say, and, and maybe I'll regret saying this on a podcast, <laughs> but the only winner here is named Jimmy. And um, it's just one of, you know, the dominoes that continue to fall that that create that ripple effect for, you know, the coaching carousel, as well as now the AD carousel. And, um, you know, there was, in particular, um, I, I really appreciated um, the vulnerability and honesty, but fairness of Shane Lyons at West Virginia, when he was terminated, he went to the media um, and talked about it. And I would encourage you to listen to that. Um, if you haven't heard it, I thought that was a really a uh, poignant way to express how he felt in, in, like I said, a fair but vulnerable manner and um, thought that was really good. And I know that there are many other people out there that feel the same way he he expressed. Yeah, no, I would I would echo everything you said. And it's it's funny to me, it's mind boggling how many times um, one, the agents are really smart. Uh, they do an amazing job uh, creating a sense of demand for their clients that that sometimes has an athletic director giving a, an extension and a raise to a coach that where there's no competition for that coach. <laughs> it's it's just a, a straight stick up, you know, under the presumed, hey, if you don't give a, give our our, our guy a, a raise, especially in the football area. Um, you know, he's going to be pursued by another school and, and so forth. So, um, so there's a lot of these and you'll see an extension given, uh, a raise given, and then less than a year later, that coach being terminated and a higher buyout being paid, which, you know, all of this occurring without any consultation with the CFO, uh, typically it's, it's oftentimes the athletic director or the president just negotiating without the financial input. Well, and you see these coaches that are renegotiating their contracts early in the season. Right. 
that there's really no need to do that. It seems like an agent got in front of an impressionable um, AD and or president that made these decisions and felt the need and urge to do this, um, which then, of course, increases the market for everybody else. Um, and it's just that first domino to fall. And unfortunately, that impressionable AD is likely going to get terminated if this if these coaches don't work out. Yeah. And they're not, and the coaches aren't terminated fast enough. Then it's the AD that gets terminated, um, and and that's really unfortunate. Yeah, we saw that happen numerous times this year. Numerous times where the athletic director um, was terminated along with the coach, or you know, ahead of the coach, and so forth. So, uh, final one I've got is just kind of a general. Well, final. I think we're going to have one more special one at the end of this, but final one for now. Um, just a general. Uh, grievance towards inflation um, and the economic impacts of really a post-COVID uh, world now um, where we've got, um, you know, things largely returning to normal, but we've we've got very high inflation. Uh, we've got rising interest rates. We've got, um, you know, facilities that, um, that were planned, you know, maybe two, three years ago, thinking, you know, facility might be a $50 million endeavor. And now it's looking closer to a hundred million dollar endeavor and what that looks like. And, and then also not to mention the debt service on that going, going up as we, um, as we look at higher interest rates. And we've been on the phone with numerous CFOs that are just, you know, getting sticker shock as they try to, um, really try to figure out how to budget for some of these capital expenditures that are going to be much, much, much higher than originally anticipated. And, um, you know, of course, the the coaches and others within the institution are, you know, still planning on everything going according to normal on that. So um, it's really a tricky time to be a CFO in the collegiate athletic space as they try to navigate, um, navigate this inflation and, and kind of a different landscape in the way of expenditures. Yeah, and similar to capital expenditures, I mean, I think the other area where it's really being felt is in travel costs. Mm, yep. And of course, you know, student athlete experience is the number one priority. And there's more and more focus on equity across all sports and how they're treated when they're traveling and going to championships and things like that. And, um, you know, that alone drives um, your budgets for travel expenses up. And then, you add to that um, recruiting travel for NIL and the fact that you might have to be doing more of that to maybe play into the transfer portal in your favor. Um, or you might have to, um, you know, just you're dealing, what we're also seeing schools deal with is a smaller supply of charter flights, which then increases the um, demand and the price, um, as well as just inflation and costs going up and, um, mm. you know, fuel prices uh, with the conflict over in Ukraine. And, and there's just a lot going on that oh, yeah. is driving up those travel costs and um, and a lot of pressure to uh, continue to enhance the quality of, of travel that's offered to all of your athletes. Yeah, no, absolutely a huge challenge. And um, as you mentioned in the travel side too, just even outside of the charters, the you know, there's less commercial flights because uh, there's less pilots, there's less crews, there's, you know, we saw all the stuff that happens whenever there's winter storms and what they impact, but just, you know, a kind of indication that the whole travel industry is really challenged right now uh, on multiple fronts. So schools trying to, again, give the best student athlete experience, um, you know, amidst some very challenging times, uh, just kind of handling travel in general. So, 
And then a final grievance that has nothing to do uh, or is nothing unique to collegiate athletics, but I, I just have a huge grievance about that. We were supposed to record this about a month ago, um, but uh, as many of the country experienced, um, lots of year-end illness, lots of, uh, thankfully, in, in my case and in your case, uh, neither one of us were sick with COVID, but uh, you know, there's a lot of COVID going around. There's a lot of RSV going around. There's a lot of just other respiratory illnesses. So got to have a, a final final grievance towards just uh, respiratory illnesses in general, <laughs> I think is going to be my category. There. Yes, yes. Uh, we both were hit pretty hard last month and um, I would anticipate no one noticed that we missed last <laughs> month. Um, but I wonder if that should also be a grievance. If no one noticed, I have a grievance there against you as well. I'm just kidding on that. Um, I don't think anyone noticed. Everyone's so busy right now that, um, you know, at least they're hearing it now. Absolutely. So um, I don't know if you, have you been too sick to enjoy any brews or any uh, <laughs> wine or anything or any coffee? I mean, do you have anything to share in the, the brew choices, Katie? Um, I haven't really been drinking beer. I drank a lot of wine over the holidays. Um, I would nice. say um, I, I ended up with a cab from um, Pride, which is uh, a winery in Napa Valley and um, really good and enjoyed drinking some of that over the holidays. That's a great choice. Um, while I am a huge, huge IPA lover, um, I do as the as the weather gets colder, um, and it does even get colder here in Florida, as the weather gets colder, I, I'll, I'll periodically enjoy uh, stouts, especially Imperial stouts. And uh, one of my favorites that I had over the holidays was from Sierra Nevada. It's their Narwhal Imperial Stout. This one was aged in bourbon barrels also, so it was kind of a special version of that. Um, and that just kind of feels like winter and Christmas to me. So that was that was my choice for the month. Well, we hope that this episode brought some laughs and made you all feel like you're not alone. Uh, we'll keep an eye on these things as they continue to evolve and take a deeper dive into any areas um, as they continue to change. If you have any specific requests for topics for 2023 that you'd like for us to cover on this podcast, please contact us on our website at jmco.com. Thank you to our listeners for tuning in. Cheers. Cheers. To learn more about the James Warren Company Collegiate Athletics and Higher Education segments, go to jmco.com. And don't forget to sign up for insights to get our latest industry updates, news and events delivered straight to your inbox. You can also follow us on Twitter at JMCO Higher Ed and on LinkedIn for the latest news as the landscape of collegiate athletics and higher education is continually evolving. 